Hello, welcome back to another episode of Getaway Day. Uh, as always, I am Mason. Uh, with me is Gautham there on the uh, far right, and in the middle is T-Rad. T-Rad is a uh, friend of mine. He's a Twitch streamer and YouTuber. Um, T-Rad, you want to introduce yourself? So, as Mason said, I'm T-Rad. Not really too much importance. Uh, I'm a big Jays fan, grew up... Uh, an hour away from Toronto. Um, yeah, I'm. Thanks for having me on, guys. We got to ask yeah. him the the intro to the pod questions, right? What are I they? Am. I was gonna ask how you were doing first, and then come back to that. I'm not bad. I want to know the answer to the questions. All right, so T Rad, I got a couple questions for you right off the bat. Right. They're they're really difficult questions. If you watch the episode with Ashley, then you know some of them. But I have a new one. Um, right. So first of all, uh, you already said your favorite team. I think. Or you said where you grew up near, at least, and you're wearing your team. Uh, but we want to know your favorite player, both current and uh, all time. And we want to know uh, the minor league team name that you're most intrigued by. It doesn't have to be your favorite. Just something that just like the name is just funny to you. So favorite player, I think that's honestly the hardest question currently because the Jays are one of the best young teams in the game by far. Um, I don't know. I'm going to go with the flow himself, Bo. I, I love Bo. And the strides that he's made, just from what I've seen from spring training, he looks fantastic. He made two fantastic plays in Dunedin uh, earlier. I think it was just Sunday. Days are passing me by at this point. But uh, all time, that one's easy for me. That one has to be Roy Halladay. I love, love Roy Halladay. That's why uh, all my Twitch and Twitter handle has 32 on it. Roy Halladay's number in Toronto, 32. Little uh, fun to fact about that. In my college, we were doing TV shows, and I was the producer of the night show the day Roy Halladay died. So that was literally me crying the entire time. I, I cried. Yeah, that'd be that'd be something. That was a, I imagine, a really rough day for fans of both the Jays and the Phillies. I mean, I know how it was for fans of just baseball in general, but yeah, yeah, good choices though. Halliday was Great an absolute choices. legend. Guy was going out there pitching like eight, nine innings every single start for years on oh, end. Oh, I know. And well, Roy Halladay had like a nine complete game season, didn't he? Oh, yeah. yeah. I think so. And you, you wanted the fastest pitching matchup of all time. You threw Roy Halladay against Mark Burley. You're done by 830. <laughs> it was, I was going to say, there was a... Wasn't there like a two-hour and 15-minute game or something that was... Burley was it Burley versus Halliday or was that just a Burley game? I think that was just was a, a Burley game back in like 2015, 2016. And it was because his dad was in town and they were going to a concert right after the game. That's and, awesome. And Burley just threw like a, a complete game and it was like, okay, we're going to the concert now. And it was like the game was over by nine o'clock. That's awesome. Yeah, Mark Burley needs to be in charge of uh, pace of play, maybe. Yes, absolutely. He really does. Uh, and so I was looking up in the background here. Um, so I was both right and wrong at the same time. 
Roy Halladay didn't have uh, one nine complete game Multiple. season. He had three in a row. Yeah. Uh, that was prefaced by a seven complete game season and followed by an eight complete game season. So the man was nuts. And then oh, the year uh, 2022 will be lucky to have a guy that has three complete games this season. Probably. I, I think mm, who's your guess for who that would be. Uh, probably Garrett Cole. See, I actually think that if, the safe bet would be Wayno. I mean, he still I, has. I'm going off the board. I'm going off the board and going Jose Barrios. Barrios is a super durable starter. I mean, don't look at his spring training stats right now because they're absolutely pitiful. But he's super durable. He makes all his starts. And if he's going to make a complete game, he would be the one to do it. I can see that. Um, but yeah, Wainwright had three last season, by the way. So I'm not coming out of left field there on that one. Um, no, you're coming right. At, you're coming about 60 feet, six inches away. Exactly. Um, so I guess before we get into the main conversation for today, I will get back to the little intro part. Gautham, how um, has your week been? Anything interesting going on? Uh, no, just counting down the days until opening day. We're 15 days away now. so. All good with me. Good deal. I count down the days till I will be the show. And that's even less days. That's like eight days. I was going to say that's uh, next Friday, right? Yeah, April 1st. Yeah, what, so I know you like and Ashley and the day after bunch opening of. day. Because opening day would have been March 31st. Weird that they were going to do it after opening day, isn't it? Isn't it usually like the week before? All depends. I know they've had some later releases lately since they've moved to next gen, so it's not. Um, but I mean, in their defense, one was COVID shortened season, so they were well before opening day. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Well, um, before we get into it, uh, if you guys enjoy the podcast, please make sure that you subscribe on your favorite podcasting app or YouTube to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Um, you can let us know your thoughts through the YouTube comments, uh, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, or shooting us a, a message or um, posting uh, at us on Facebook and Twitter at Getaway Day Pod. Um, so, with that being said, this week's episode, episode 50, and I believe, Gautham, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to correct me here. I think this might be our one year to the day. I th- I think it was. March 23rd last year. Yeah, I think, it, yeah, it was definitely this week last year. So. I, I, I forgot the confetti. I apologize. <laughs> ah, it's all good. Uh, to be honest, I forgot it was our one year until I was looking at a calendar right now. So one year old really fault anyone else. It's okay. Yeah. Great job. <laughs> I was really looking for 52 because that'd be a full year. But yeah, we kind of skipped a couple weeks and did a couple weird things. Um. But yeah, so we have, what, two more weeks till opening day, four more. Um, Nightbot keeps timing out Ashley for um, spamming all caps. I don't know how to we, make that stop. We, we don't like Nightbot over here because Nightbot just attacks everybody. It's the biggest bully in chat. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we have four more um, divisions to get through. And today we're doing the AL East. Um, and so we're going to try and do it a little bit different here. Um, and uh, from what we've done in the last couple weeks, and we are going to do a little bit of a winners and losers of the of the offseason and then get into how we think that's going to affect the division. So uh, let's go ahead and start with some winners of the offseason. T-Rad, you're our guest, so do you want to pick the first winner of the offseason? First winner of the offseason, and I, I don't think I'm spewing any hot takes on this one, it's the Toronto Blue Jays. They've made some substantial moves. I mean, yeah, you lost Robbie Ray and you lost Marcus Simeon, but you replaced them with Kevin Gosman. You add Yusei Kikuchi as like your fifth starter. And then you add a guy like Matt Chapman to the mix and already stacked infield. That lineup was already gross without Marcus Simeon. You throw Matt Chapman in there who just set the Oakland A's home run single season record for a third baseman in 2019. Like this team is probably my favorite to win the AL East, yet alone maybe even the American League, considering some of the other divisions we're looking at. I I don't see any any reason someone would say that the Jays lost this offseason. Because, I mean, yeah, you lost the Cy Young winner. You lost the guy that was third in MVP voting. But you still made your team better, even though you lost those two key pieces. Yeah, I'll jump in and uh, say that I agree with everything you just said. Um, and I'll point out one other thing that they did during the offseason, which feels like 100 years ago because it was before the lockout, but they signed uh, Jose Barrios to the seven-year contract extension. Um, so they're locking up a very durable starter who is going to be one of the leaders in that rotation that's uh, probably improved uh, more than any other rotation like around the league over the last couple years now since they brought in uh ryu barrios and then the new guys uh kikuchi and gosman so and and honestly i remembered the barrios extension but i also forgot it because it was so long ago right yeah <laughs> because the lockout because i know that's actually how mason and i started talking was like we started talking about like cba stuff so it's actually so nice to just be like chill and actually talking things that are going to affect the field and Instead of, hey, what does the competitive balance threshold look like for five years from now? Like, Yeah, not quite as, as much fun as uh, talking about players and, and the teams and everything. So it's a good time to be a baseball fan right now. And I know there were so many people that were like, oh, because of this lockout, I'm never watching baseball again. No, you're going to watch. Because watch how many people now, the lockout's over, everyone's forgot it even existed. Yep. Because now you're back to spring training. You're back to smelling popcorn anytime you're down near a ballpark. It's... And for Toronto, we're getting a full 162 up here. I think there were 22 and 15 when they moved back up here. It was something absurd like that. Maybe 25 and 11. I don't have the exact number, but they were a solid team up here. And you're getting the full season of that. Toronto has a lot to be excited about. Yeah. Um, so 
Not going to lie. I got a little distracted trying to figure out this Nightbot thing. I'll figure that out later. Um, but so I guess if there was one. Um, like, like, I agree, like pretty much everything the Jays have done this offseason has been really, really good. If there was one thing that was like the biggest, biggest piece you could pick out, what would it be? I think it's now that just that glaring hole at second base. As much as I love Kevin Biggio and I love Santiago Espinal, you're you have some really big shoes to fill trying to fill Marcus Simeon's spot. And that's why I keep I know everyone's talking about going and trading with Cleveland for Jose Ramirez. I don't see that happening. Because number one, I don't think Jose Ramirez wants to play second base. That's the number one thing. But number two, you're also putting it at the same arbitration as Teoscar Hernandez. So then you're throwing a lot of money out on two guys. Like Teoscar just settled for 10.675. So are you really going to try to throw that much at those two guys long term when you still have the extensions of Vladdy and Bo? That's well, and don't forget Vladdy's arbitration of like 7-8. Seven, 7-9. Seven, nine. Seven, nine. But honestly, that's not even that bad. I'll take a seven nine for first year. It's arb. not bad, but he's got. I mean, he, that's his first year of four years of arbitration. But now, still, Im- like, imagine what that would be if there was the pre arb bonus pool for his first three years. Yeah, <laughs> but let's bring the lockout back into it. <laughs> but no, I I saw the seven point nine. I'm like, okay, that's that's reasonable. I was thinking probably around the eight million range, so it's right where I thought it was. I know Soto settled for what seventeen something in Washington. It was like seventeen point five or something. But he's also been up in the league like a year longer. That's his second year of arb, is it not? For Soto, I I think so. Yeah, second year. Yeah, because I think he's a free agent going into twenty twenty five. Yeah, and Vladdy's twenty twenty six. And uh, I don't remember the exact number you just said, but 17.1 for Soto. Okay, I was going 17.5, so round it down. But still, yeah, like, like... But getting back to the like, Blue Jays, so I don't, I don't think they're going to make the trade, like a big trade for Jose Ramirez or anyone like that. I would say that the lineup is pretty well set at this point because, I mean, they did just give up a bunch of prospects for the Chapman deal, so maybe they'd be a little bit hesitant to pull the trigger on another deal where they would lose a bunch of prospects. The thing, the thing that I've always thought is right to that point, because Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro have always said there's that second wave of prospects coming. And that had to do with guys like Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson, Jordan Groshans, or Elvis Martinez has busted onto the scene and looked really, really solid. And he's probably not that far away. I don't think he makes it this year, but probably within the, maybe in September, August area, like they did with Boba Shett. But a guy I keep looking at is Jordan Groshans, and a guy that has dropped down significantly in the top 100 in MLB Pipeline. And I just think, what would it take to trade for a guy like Cattell Marte? And I think Jordan Groshans would be a huge part of that. Just prospect capital. You have Aurelvis Martinez that could basically fill that spot immediately. And Cattell fits everything you need. He has that diversity of positions. He can go to center field if anything goes wrong. 
with Springer or at that point I think you get rid of Grigic, which is another thing that please Toronto, if you're looking and watching this, please trade Randall Grigic for literally anything. It's sad that you say that because Randall Grigic is actually like a a good outfielder. He's a great me. outfielder. But I look at the Jays outfield and I know they keep putting Teoscar as a designated hitter. I'm like, he's a better fielder than that. And I know when St. Louis traded Grichik, it was literally because we don't have the they, they don't have the spot for him. And I think the Blue Jays are in the same kind of situation here, where he's your fourth outfielder. But if you get a guy like Atel Marte who can play center, you just put him in the outfield for a day off of like Tay Oscar or whoever. And you have a guy like Espinal that can just slot into second base and play it well. I, I'm looking, and I didn't even say Biggio because, in my own opinion, that if you were to trade for Cattell Marte, Kevin Biggio is going the other way as well. I can see that, and I think you would almost have to send Kevin because you, uh, you would essentially be getting three years of Cattell Marte. Um, he's got one like guaranteed year left. Um, in uh, 8.4 mil for this year, but then he has two options after that for 23, 8 million, and uh, 10 million for 2024 um, with a million dollar buyouts um, each year. But so you're you're basically locking in three years of Cattell Marte. And Randall Grichik is in his final year, I think, right? Uh, two more years, I believe. I think it's 2024. Okay, but yeah, and it, let's see, if that's true, I mean, you're still downgrading your, or the premier player, and losing a year, and, like, it's, it's a money offset, too, like, Grichik is, is paid 10 mil, or, yeah, 10.33 mil, both years, something like that. And uh, depending on how many plate appearances he gets, that could actually increase to 12.33 for next year. So essentially two years of Grichik for the same amount of money as three years of Cattell Marte, essentially. Yeah, and honestly, like I said, the, the Jays always talk about that diversity in the lineup, and that's where Cattell would really fit in because he's the switch hitter in a predominantly right-handed heavy lineup. Which, honestly, with the way these guys hit, I don't even think that's an issue but i know there's been the reports of the jays going after brett gardner i don't see that happening i think conforto who shy davidi has actually confirmed the jays have talked to it that one makes sense to me especially if you're looking at trading a guy like grichik would be to grab a guy like conforto that would be your other outfield option yeah I, I think that's a good that's a good call on Conforto. So with the right-handed heavy lineup construction, it's definitely uh, a very minor uh, nit to pick with the lineup, as you said. Like it doesn't really matter if they're this good, um, but it, but it would be nice to have like one one left-handed bat or at least more than one that they currently have if BGO is the only left-handed bat that's in the yeah. lineup. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I totally get that too. And it's like, I, I can't tell you how many people I talk to and they're like, oh, the Jays are so right-handed heavy. And it's like, 
Yeah, but three of those righties are named George Springer, Bo Bichette, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Yep. Yeah. And and, and it's guys that are maybe not better, but equally as good, if not better, against same-handed pitchers as they are opposite-handed. So it's like they are like pitcher in the if I'm a pitcher in the AL East right now. Um, the Jays led the league in first pitch home runs last year. Hmm. The Jays see a pitch in the zone first pitch, it's going over the fence. So that that brings up a, a good point here. Uh, pitching in the AL East, uh, we haven't talked about four of the teams and haven't really talked too much about the Jays pitching here, but uh, uh, there's not really a whole lot of pitching in the AL East. It's, it's pretty much just a home run fest. And like, that's the way these ballparks are. I, I think a lot of the AL East parks, you look at Fenway, you look at Yankee Stadium, Tropicana Field can be a bit of a bandbox from time to time. Rogers Center is no walk in the park. And, I mean, the least hitter-friendly this year is probably going to be Baltimore. With that monstrosity of an outfield wall that they're like, hey, let's just push this back like 40 feet. I don't know. If Nelson Cruz can't hit in the trop, I'm going to say the trop is probably the least hitter-friendly. Well, did you see what Oracle, or, Oriole Park's going to look like this year? I did, and I hate it. I, I'm pretty sure that Gautam and I got in an argument because I thought it's going to kill someone, and he's like, it's going to be fine. It's part of the entertainment factor in Baltimore because, I mean, there's not a whole lot else to watch for. Yeah, uh, I kind of agree with that. The left field bleachers are going to be the most packed thing in Oriole Park last year, this next year. Kind of just as a general point on ballparks, right? If you increase the space in the outfield, like, you get more action, you get more hits, and you get more doubles and triples and things like that, so... Well, thing is, that's all going to benefit the opposing team because the Orioles don't do anything well. (laughs) <laughs> they're trying to spare their pitchers from giving up a million home runs like they have every Yeah, by year giving now. up a million triples? It's at least exciting, like I'm saying. Uh, yeah, but I, I would almost argue that, like, one pitch, it's over the wall, there's not someone on third about to score is probably better for the pitchers than giving up <laughs> triple that, after triple. The thing that's going to hurt the, the fans. is the fact that their pitchers don't know any other spot in the strike zone besides down the middle. Like, I don't yeah, know to be fair, I'm not sure most of their pitchers yeah. have ever pitched above like low A until they got to the majors. That's fair, and I'm not trying to make this a Baltimore Orioles roast session, but they make it really easy. <laughs> no, I I kind of had a roast session planned for here in a little bit, so it's fine. Oh well, we're we're moving right <laughs> along then because it's the Orioles. Yeah, but um, I mean, yeah, the AL East. I mean, Chris Sale, like he's starting the year injured because he's Chris Sale. I swear, he's been, since he was traded from the White Sox, he's just been made of glass or something, because he cannot stay on the field. He's got, what, a broken rib now? Yeah. 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 But I I did appreciate his quote. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was essentially like, uh, um, he was saying, like, he's disappointed at, um, in himself and just like he's letting his team down and all that. And like, I, I'm glad that he's like owning up to the fact that like he's, I, I mean, it, he's getting injured. It's not like it's his fault, but like you could tell that man really, really wants to be playing. And like that comment that he made just kind of, uh, it, it gave me more respect 
for him than I had before. And I already think he's an amazing pitcher, but it's like, God, his will to play and win is insane. So he must be really hurt if he's not actually playing. Well, and part of it too, and this is kind of going into a whole kind of different subsection of everything is the fact that how many of these players from the Yankees and the Red Sox mainly won't be able to even travel up to Toronto anyway. Yeah, it's absolutely a competitive advantage for the Blue Jays. Not just Yankees and Red Sox, but all the teams in the entire league that travel to Toronto. Like You're going to find out who's not vaccinated when they say this guy's been moved to the restricted list. Because look how many times with the last two years mainly, with 2020 and 2021, where the Blue Jays didn't even... Like, they were playing a home game in front of road fans, basically. Because when they were in Buffalo, you were getting Yankees fans, you were getting... Red Sox fans coming up. When you're playing in Dunedin, Tampa's the Yankees site. They're right there. The Rays fans that surprisingly exist were there. And now, yes, yes, Dunedin. (laughs) But honestly, though, it just becomes a thing where the Jays could use this win. They could really use this win of actually having some sort of home field advantage that they haven't had since basically 2019 for a full season. Yeah, and then doubling down the home field advantage with guys like Judge not being able to play the what, nine games. Deal. Nine games of, of no Judge. Yeah. And potentially yeah. no Rizzo. We still don't know on him. We don't know. We'll um, find out. And who else, maybe? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I know there was a thing about sale. So yeah. not only is he injured, he can't come up to Canada. Yeah, but do you really want Chris Sale in Canada? I mean, no. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that's it's fine. I mean, like that's why I'm like, we'll take our wins because we don't want Chris Sale up here. Now the the interesting thing, um, this is slightly off topic and slightly still on topic. Uh, but the state of New York actually um, uh, are changing the rules, I think, this Thursday, right? Yeah. Uh, or tomorrow for um, pr- private industry employees, uh, essentially entertainers can now um, play in New York. So Kyrie Irving's coming back in the NBA. All of these uh, New York players, both Mets and Yankees, are now going to be allowed to play at home. So they're really only going to be missing the, um, God, Nightbot is just on something tonight. Um, I completely forgot what I was saying. What was I saying? You're in the middle of a sentence even. I know. And Nightbot's like, that sentence? Yeah, no. What was I talking about though? You said, uh, they wouldn't be able to play all the games except, uh, they oh. will be able to play all the games except for the ones in Toronto, you were going to say. Yeah, so so now it's just nine games. That's it for all these guys. So they... But with with this division still, too, like, those nine games could make or break the division. Yeah. Which is a big, big deal. Um, let's see. So, kind of wonder... 
so like the the Red Sox had a couple guys that before all of this uh, changed and uh, that they could come up and play in New York um, and uh, potentially Canada. Some of them did go out and get vaccinated. Guys like Xander um, made sure that they got vaccinated and made sure people knew that so they could come up and play. Um, and so I'm just thinking like with the Red Sox now all of a sudden you do have to face in Toronto uh, guys like Xander. Now Trevor Story's coming in for the Red Sox um, on the, the six year, $140 million deal. So like the Red Sox are certainly not going to be lacking in, in thump. I don't think no in talent when they I, come up. I just saw, I saw a question in, in chat. I know we're, I just saw it. It's uh, based on Trevor Story and the Red Sox and, I think the biggest mistake that Boston's making is putting Trevor Story at second. I agree. He's a premier defensive shortstop. And, I mean, Marcus Simeon was no gold glove shortstop when the Jays brought him in, but it was also with the understanding that you have a shortstop already there in Beau Bichette. And I know Boston has Xander Bogarts, but Bogarts, I think, is so much better suited for a second base position because his range isn't really there. The arm is sometimes very all over the place. The shorter distance of a throw might actually help him better. But I I don't understand the reasoning to keep him there at second when Xander Bogarts could just opt out next season and be like, hey, I'm done. See ya. Deuces. Yeah, for for my uh vantage point i think the reason they're doing it's two reasons potentially two reasons one is that they're just trying to keep their in place superstar bogarts happy by not making him switch positions he's also never played any other well i don't think story's played any other positions either but i don't think so uh, just to keep him in place i guess story agreed to it and then with story himself he had his own issues throwing the ball last year so i don't know if that might be part of the equation there. I mean, let, let's be honest here. Defense in the AL East is just like pitching. It's almost non-existent in most parts, especially if you look at the Yankees' defense that um, Yikes. exists. Well, like, and, and with all the home runs, you really don't need defense anyway. You just need Aaron Judge need back outfield, there at the wall. All you need is outfield defense, and you're really good. Because let's be honest, there's going to be not much hit to your infielders anyway. Yeah, someone out that can play off the wall in uh, or off the left field monster in uh, Fenway, and then a guy as tall as Judge to just rob anything that's within like the first five rows. So there's going to be a lot of uh, seven six ball games in the AL East this year, probably. And I'm yeah. here for it. I am here for it because let's be real here. Like I know we were just talking before we started recording about. I think Mason and I were actually talking about it. The Yankees. Their main pitcher is Garrett Cole. Like, you have guys that had have really good seasons, have had really good seasons. Like, Tyone has been really good at times. Severino's been really good at times. But none consistently. And you're throwing them into the bandbox that is the American League East, and you're going to see quite a few four to four and a half ERAs because... Ugh. Yeah, yeah. I think the, Severino's a big, big key for the Yankees because 
if he gets back to what he was doing before, like that one two punch is really strong, but then beyond beyond three, Cole four, five is yikes. And that's the thing too. Severino has to stay healthy because I think they're nearing a decision with him where it's if you can't stay in the rotation healthy, like you're gonna have to be a bullpen guy. And that's not a decision that I know any ball club wants to make with anybody is, hey, you're now a bullpen arm. And I know the Jays are kind of approaching that decision at some point with Nate Pearson. I still think Pearson should be a starter, but if he's not healthy enough, you put him with Romano as an eight, nine inning combo. That's a disgusting combination to end the game with. And I don't know. There's just a part where you look at the pitching in the AL East and it's where the Blue Jays have the best rotation out of the American League East, but it's also not saying a whole lot because of the other teams in the division. Because we don't even know what Tampa's going to do with half their star pitchers by the time opening day comes around anyway. Now, I I would... You're right. Like It doesn't really matter how... Uh, how much better the Jays are than the other teams because the other teams suck. But this this Jays rotation, I would throw in there in any division and be like, yeah, this is good rotation. So oh, like, they're kind of wrong. don't get me wrong. They're a solid rotation, and there is rotation that as a Jays fan going into the season, I'm quite confident in because we have the pitching whisperer in Pete Walker. I don't know what he does to his pitchers, but he took a guy like Robbie Bray that Arizona basically gave up for nothing and turned him into a Cy Young winner. I do not know what he does to this team. I, I don't know, but I love it. I mean, I think with Ray, part of that was just um, uh, his, like, a, basically his game plan, I think, changed. Because essentially the only difference between Robbie Ray and... Arizona and Robbie Ray in Toronto was his walk percentage. Yeah. So he was throwing more strikes and he was amazing. So I don't know if it's just the Jays are a lot better at calling games than everyone else, but well, hey, it I works. do know that a lot of a lot of pitchers that have come to Toronto love working with Danny Jansen, the starting catcher. And personally, as a catcher myself, I love Danny Jansen. I would let him call everything. He could be my voice my voice message. I do not care. I literally love Danny Jansen. And I don't know. I, I still think my voice message is probably going to be like uh, recording a Jack Buck or maybe have Hawk Harrelson record it for me or something. Oh, no. I'll but... just have Danny Jansen like flash signs <laughs> to the phone as the voice message is being played. And no one will actually understand what's going on. So, um, something I was I was thinking about here. Have we heard any more about the uh, prototype baseballs that have like the extra grip on them, or the substance that MLB is potentially going to be giving every pitcher? Has there been any more clarity on that? Because that could know, be a- knowing MLB, the balls will just be implemented sometime in the middle of the season when no one knows about it. Well, and Pretty some much. balls will have it, and others won't. Yeah, that too. I, I thought you were going to ask about that new... Uh, I don't know if you guys saw it, that pitch calling. Oh, like, the watch? Yeah. The Jays were just using that the other day. 
They're testing it out. Yeah, that's definitely coming at some point soon. I know Tampa was already talking about using it, and Toronto was using it yesterday. And it was actually really interesting to see. So for those that don't know what we're talking about here, it's basically, it's not even an Apple Watch. What Jansen was doing was he was wearing it next to that, like, play-calling wristband. But he was wearing it on the inside, so, like, on the inside part of his arm. And he just goes and he punches in a code and a location. And the pitcher has a speaker inside his hat or wherever. And it's, like, Siri tells you, fastball, low and away. So... As a catcher, honestly, I love that because I love having full command of the game. But I know they were saying on the broadcast yesterday, what happens if the pitcher's like, I don't want to throw that pitch. I don't want to throw a fastball low and away. I want to throw a slider. Like, what happens then? But, and I don't think they're at that point yet. There's also what happens if a team decides, hey, we're going to hack this team's stealing devices and just tell the pitcher to throw pitches down the middle. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you could probably still just shake it off. Like, if it's the catcher that's doing it, he types it in, you hear it, he's watching you, you probably shake him off. And he yeah, just does but it then, again. Yeah, but then do you actually, because that affects pace of play at that point, are you willing to actually have the catcher sit there behind the plate and keep punching in numbers, or do you just go back to the regular finger signals like everyone's used to? Well, I, I think that's the key is when do we get pitch clock and how much time do you have in the pitch clock? Yeah, that becomes it sounds like twenty twenty three, but is it gonna yeah. be fifteen? Is it gonna be thirty? What are we looking at? I think it's what, twenty in the minors? Uh so it's it was fifteen in the California League and I think it's twenty five everywhere else. Okay, so I, I'd almost say the sweet spot's twenty. I can see that. And what they were doing, it was uh, Jansen and Trevor Richards yesterday for the Jays game. And Richards wasn't even on the mound yet. Like, he wasn't even on the rubber. He was, like, at the back of the mound, and he was already getting the signals. And all he had to do was step on the rubber and throw it. Yeah, that would be... That's actually an interesting... Interesting uh, point there, too. Because, like, your pace of play, like, your pitch clock starts basically as soon as the the play's over, I think. But so like you're not wasting time getting to the mound and then hearing your call. But that that's where Mark Burley needs to come in and tell everyone how to actually do it properly. So uh, my question with that is, you could essentially also do it where the um, the calls are coming from the uh, the dugout as well. And so would that benefit teams like, say, the Yankees, who don't really have a catcher who's worked with these pitchers a long time? Um, so they just got uh, Ben Rortvet uh, in the trade that brought in IKF and Donaldson uh, when they shipped off Gary. So you've now got Rortvet, who is potentially going to be their starter, and Kyle Higashioka that's still on the bench, but... If you have that technology, do you start taking calls from Aaron Boone as opposed to from Ben Rortvet? Like, what's so? If I if I can comprehend what Pete Walker said on his interview with uh, Buck and Joe yesterday, 
was the pitching coaches can use it right now in spring training, but can't use it once they get to regular season. Yeah, and that makes sense because I think it still technically violates the um, rules that they have against electronics in the dugout. Um, I think so. So I think that's where that would kind of come in is you have to have a catcher that's a strong game caller because once you're in there, you're kind of on your own. Yeah, I think I think the players on the field should be the ones making the calls. I don't think they should come from yeah. the dugout. Yeah. Because when I played, my, my coaches backed right off. I was the one calling the game. If anyone messed up, it was on me. And that's the way I think it should be. As soon as you start letting managers like Aaron Boone, who have never caught a game in their major league career, calling what a catcher should throw, that just that doesn't work. You're only calling for pain. Yeah. Well, and it, that could potentially make a manager like Mike Matheny actually look good at his job. It could. It could. But, so, I guess th- this brings up an interesting question, and we're getting it here in the chat too. Like, who's the best like game caller in the in the East? The the best catcher there in the AL East? Because like now that like uh, Gary wasn't really a good catcher, but Gary's now gone, so you bring Gary in a new guy. A he was literally a designated hitter that they had to find somewhere to play him. He stood behind the plate and put fingers down occasionally. I can't guarantee they weren't all just middle fingers, but, you know. So, like, I'm trying to think of all the catchers that are in so, the right So, now. I think that there, there are actually a couple, like, very strong defensive catchers in the division. Mike Zanino and then Jansen, who we've talked about now. But Zanino's got that reputation of being like really good with the pitchers. It's probably why the Rays targeted him in the trade because he's not, you know, an extra good hitter. He, he has a lot of power, but his main asset that he brings to the team is his um, catching ability, which is great. And then I'll mention Adley Rutschman, who has a reputation, and and all the scouts say that he is going to be an absolutely elite. Defensive and offensive catcher. So, weren't you right telling there, me you the other day that you were reading like a baseball prospectus blurb or something that, or Baseball America or one of them that said like they would grade him out as an eighty, but since he's a catcher, they don't feel like they can. Yeah, that was Fangraphs uh, scouting report on him. Oh, that... oh, I don't like that. I I don't like that. I mean, he's really oh, good. So, so the reason they 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 dropped his grade is just because of the um, the risk in catching prospects. It's not like a, really a knock on the, on the player. Yeah, but still like the Jays thought the JPR and CBO was going to be the best thing since sliced bread. And he ended up being an absolute bust, but a lot of it, like, and that's the thing. Like, I understand why Fangraphs is doing that and I totally get it. But when, when a catcher like Adley, and I've seen clips of Adley, and I think I totally agree, he's going to be one of the best catchers we have seen since the closest I can think of is Pudge Rodriguez. Because I I think he has, he has an elite arm. He's a switch-hitting catcher that's absolutely phenomenal on both sides. Yeah, and a, he calls a great, great hit tool and power. Yeah, and he, he calls a great game for what I've seen. 
So, as much as I'm like, I don't, I don't ever want to think, oh, we're just going to say he's one of the greatest, you know, catchers ever. I still think he has the potential to be. And to say, oh, well, the risk of catching prospects, I mean, what? They get a foul ball off the mask, concussion. I get that. But that's not going to change the way they are as a catcher. It's just a matter of actually getting them up. And I think that's where the service time manipulation comes in because I think he's injured to start anyway. But yeah, so he's he's out two to three weeks from from like three or four days ago, but it's going to delay him past past opening day. It's a very convenient uh, excuse for the, for the Orioles now, to be down for two now, to three weeks. To be honest, I'm not sure that they're necessarily trying to manipulate his service time because he's pretty clearly a rookie of the year favorite. And uh, question, um, are they going to have him on the major league injured list or are they going to have him in the minor league injured list? They're I mean, surely not, not going to have him on the major league one because he's not even on the 40 man roster. So they don't want him to get that. No, no because he's, he he's not been rule five eligible yet. Yeah. So there was no point. So, I mean, why are you giving the Orioles the benefit of the doubt here? Like, what have they done to gain your trust on any kind of situation? It's because like I feel bad for he's them. He's how they are selling tickets this year. They have nothing else. They have Mountcastle. No, no. And he's really good, tickets, to be fair. They're selling tickets by saying, look at our brand new left field wall. Oh, and then we also have Ryan Mountcastle and Adley Rutschman eventually. Oh, and by the way, we just painted this wall and you could watch it dry. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Buy Baltimore Royals season tickets right now. Oh, I, I'm seeing Ashley say Eloy's not a fan of that. I don't think any left fielder in baseball is a fan of that left field wall. Yeah. I. It's going to be so weird. Like, if you were to put that in right field, I would argue it would be a little bit better because right fielders tend to be a little bit more uh, defensive oriented. Uh, whereas left fielders, Kyle Schwarber is gonna is gonna be the starting left fielder for the Phillies this year, and he's a better defender than most people give him credit for, but he's still not good. I wouldn't want him playing left field in Orioles Park now. I I don't like, want any left fielder playing left field at Orioles Park. I'm not sure I want players playing in Orioles Park. I think we just relegate them and bring in the Nippenham fighters over from uh, Japan. <laughs> hey, you know what? That, that's fine with me. I, I'm down. And then the Samsung Lions from the KBO come up for the Pirates. What do we think? Um, any team that has spent less than like $5 million on free agent signings get relegated to AAA. Ooh, I think the Orioles actually make the cut. They sign one pitcher for like $6 million. Oh yeah, Jordan Lyles. Like <laughs> Yeah, so clearly the Orioles have not done nearly enough to make themselves anywhere competitive. There's zero chance that they're going to be like good at all in this division. Um like, I saw and I don't the Cleveland Guardians have spent $900,000 on free agents. Yeah, I think it was uh they, they signed one a catcher named Luke Maley, and then they also signed Brian Shaw today. So they got their second free agent off the board. 
Yeah, and then the the A's who had spent zero dollars on major league contracts prior to today went and signed Stephen Vogt. Um, which is Stephen Vogt going to be the starting catcher for the A's, and we're going to see Sean Murphy on your New York Yankees? I don't know why oh, I say yeah. your. None of us like the Yankees, no. but yeah. So let's talk about the Yankees then, because there's not a whole lot to talk about with the Orioles. I think we we've, we've talked about them enough here. Yeah. Uh, so well, actually, I would like to say one other good thing about the Orioles. Whoa. Okay. More Grayson Rodriguez. In sentence, let's move on. Okay. Right. I, I was like, wow, we're actually saying two good things about the Orioles in one podcast? Okay. That's a lot, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That, that, that's going to cost you extra. <laughs> I, I, get, I get paid extra by the compliments of the Orioles. Ooh, that's, that's fair. I have a sticker with your name on it. Hey, there we go. Perfect. So with the Yankees then, so the Yankees have got to be the biggest losers in, in the entire division. And like, that's including the Orioles who have signed no major league players. Um, actually I lied. They traded for Jorge Mateo last year, signed Jordan Lyles and Robinson Torinos to one year deals, but they essentially are just a wash. They're the same teams last year. They didn't win. They didn't lose. The Yankees, on the other hand, were supposed to go out and do a whole bunch of big things this year. They were supposedly in on a big shortstop. They had a hole at first base uh, because people thought Luke Voigt was done. They thought Gary was going to get moved. And what did we see? Gary did get moved. Brought in Josh Donaldson and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa and Ben Rortbett. I wouldn't necessarily say there's a huge upgrade there at any particular aspect of the lineup. Like it's it's slightly better. It's not significantly better. Yeah, um, the lineup's weird. Uh basically at the top you've got your corner guys who are all established uh like stars or really good players. Uh like in the case of Rizzo, who they did bring back on a two year contract. So they got Rizzo and now Donaldson on the corners of the infield. Uh, Judge and Stanton, and then um, Joey Gallo. So those five guys, like you feel pretty good about them. They're all good players and everything. But then when you look at the middle of the field, you say, what's going on here? Who's our catcher? We got Isaiah Kiner-Falefa as our starting shortstop. No idea what Glaber Torres is at this point. And then now, Aaron Hicks. Admittedly, I'm an IKF stand. I'm going to throw that out there. But the guy can't hit. Like he can't hit. It is what it is. And with everyone else that they were argued to be in conversations with, that's a big fail that he's your starting shortstop with all the other guys that were left on the market. And that's from a guy that loves IKF. Carlos Correa absolutely should be the starting shortstop for the Yankees. There's no reason. I'm just going to say this. I don't think they were in on any of those big name free agents. I, I don't think they even once offered any of them a contract. It it really doesn't look like it. If they yeah. did, it was probably like a one year, thirty million dollar contract. And because the, the way I'm seeing it is the Yankees kind of know what they are at this point. Because okay, you got IKF who upgrades you defensively. Josh Donaldson downgrades you defensively, but improves you offensively. Apparently, he's thirty six years old. I don't know. I would argue that since they had Urshela playing short recently, 
he would still be considered an upgrade. But here, here's where I'm seeing this. The Yankees have DJ LeMahieu on the bench. He's a guy that yeah, the, pe- the pieces really... don't fit on the team. Like It doesn't make any sense what they're doing. What I've always said about the Yankees is that it's not a team. You look at the, t- you look like, you look at the Jays. That's a 26-man unit together as a team. The Yankees are 26 individuals that happen to put on the same clothes every day. Yeah, which you could always say about the Yankees, but this one even feels it, it feels different than the the George Steinbrenner Yankees. Because like, okay, those your were outfield, your outfield is a right fielder, a right fielder, and a right fielder. Stanton was a right fielder in Miami. Gallo was a right fielder in Texas, and Judge is a right fielder. Well, Stanton really shouldn't be in the outfield at all at this point. He and, and Gallo, Gallo actually did, I think, right play everything from uh, third base to uh, right, center, left, and I think he even played short a couple of times in Texas. Or second base, one of those two. He played um, something, but, I mean, at the same time, like Gallo is probably your best defensive outfielder, but you also traded him when he was predominantly Texas's right fielder. Yeah, well, and then you've got Aaron Hicks who, I don't know what happened to that. No one knows what he's going to be. He Coming off the injury, before the injury, he he wasn't even playing that well, so I don't think you can count on him for much. If Aaron Hicks existed, you get that sticker that Mason's holding. If you even, like, remember his name now that we've mentioned it, I've got a sticker for you. I got tons. And I know they're talking about... um, well, Brett Gardner is waiting to see if the Yankees will actually want him back. Which, at this point, doesn't look like it. I mean, the Yankees would probably uh, arguably be slightly more um, balanced with Gardner, but they don't have a spot for him. Like, it doesn't make sense. No, like and... They gave up uh, basically his role to uh, their only... Major League free agent signing of the year and Tim LaCastro. Um, and LaCastro is not going to get many plate appearances. He's not. Hal Steinbrenner, I don't think so. I think he's willing to throw the money at it because that's what the Steinbrenners have always done. I think this solely falls on Brian Cashman of just his inability to get anything done. I don't know. I kind of think it is dual purpose. Like, I kind of think they need to move on from Cashman just because he's had a long, long, long leash and never gotten over the hump. But I do think Hal's a problem. Never I mean, got this is the home. Come on, he won the World Series. He was there with that World Series team. I thought he came in He's after. Been there for like twenty years. Has he really? Oh, move yeah. on from this man. He's washed. <laughs> washed. 
Um, but like the Yankees have not really gone over the luxury tax for like the last like what five six years or something stupid. That's got to be an ownership thing, right? Yeah, like right now be, they're pre- yeah. they're estimated to have a two forty three payroll, which two forty three is what thirteen mil over the tax, but. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to move a guy like Gla- well, and Glaber's not even a huge, um, huge difference there, just because he's still an ARB guy. But I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to move Glaber or Hicks or something here before opening day, just to try and get that payroll down. It just that feels like what the Yankees have been doing the last couple of years, and it just kind of feels like what they would try and do. It just becomes a thing to me where I. If Cashin like Cashin's been there for like twenty years at this point or whatever it is, he's been there a while, and sometimes I think it becomes ownership complacency. Of just based on our name, people should sign here. I almost wonder if that's what they were kind of doing. If they even talked to Correa or Freeman, was hey, everyone wants to wear the pinstripes. We're gonna get you. And so we're yeah. going to offer you this one-year contract that's absolutely nothing. And you're just going to come play here. We're going to win a World Series because we're just going to go all out like we always do. But if if you're a Yankees fan right now, you look at what Steve Cohen's doing with the Mets. Where he's saying money is not an issue. To the point where the CBA now has a fourth tier that is mainly... Just a Steve Cohen tax. He's like, this is our tax. Like, I'm totally okay with going over it. And I just think it becomes a thing where you're going to lose some Yankees fans, and I I think it's going to be pretty painful for them, is when you're going to see Yankees fans go, oh, I like what the Mets are doing because the Mets are doing what the Yankees used to do. And then just leave. I I would be amazed if any Yankees fan ever became a Mets fan. Just going to throw that one out there. Well, but, I mean, uh, at the same time, I, I've been a Leafs fan my entire life, and I've seen Leafs fans become Habs fans, and it's basically the same thing. That's fair. But yeah, but no, like the only two teams that are even remotely close to that uh, that new Cohen tax are the Mets, who are already past it, and then the Dodgers are only seven mil short. So, like, those are the two teams that, like, seem like they will spend. And that's what the Yankees used to be. And now the Yankees are one of, like, the seven or eight teams that are all floating within, like, three million of the luxury tax threshold every year. And, I don't know. And, I mean, the, the Jays, I, I understand you're never going to see the Jays really go over that luxury tax because your payroll is in U.S. dollars but the company that owns it is Canadian dollars. So that becomes a whole like conversion and everything to it. But I think end of the day, you're going to see teams like the Yankees that just are, we're not going to spend over it because we don't want that tax on it. And I understand that. I don't like it. If I'd love it as a Jays fan, because they're not spending as much, but they're, the salary cap is the salary cap. The CBT has become what I think Manfred wanted it to be, where it's more of that salary cap. Well, it's what Bud Selig wanted it to be, is what it is. 
Yeah. Like this has Except, been back since the 2002 um, CBA that it's kind of been trending yeah. this way. And then Bud Seeley is definitely the, the real villain. Uh, he is. Manfred's just carrying on his legacy. I, really I, I literally call Manfred Seelig 2.0 so that people don't forget that Bud Seelig is a monster and a horrible human being. He was just a nice guy, though. And his so numbers retired in Milwaukee. Well, I mean, own them, yeah. Well, yeah. But... Let's see. Yeah, so I I think that's probably enough complaining about the Yankees. It's getting borderline what I do with the with the Rockies. I think. Oh, we don't want to get but, into the Rockies. No, this is this is the AL East. We're not going NL West today. Uh, but I do actually want to talk about a team that I'm not sure there's really anything negative to say. Like they're doing things that are not very them, and the not very them is making them seem like something that most people want. And that's in the Tampa Bay Rays. So the Rays are usually the cheap team, doesn't spend any money. And this offseason, they went out and they gave Wander Franco his 11-year, $182 million extension, buying out all his arbitration, and like four more years after that, um, they went out and signed a reliever to a multi-year deal, Brooks Raley, to two years for 10 mil. And it's not a huge move, but the Rays were a 100-win team last year. And now they're going to have a full season of Wander. They're uh, improving their bullpen. Um, like, they haven't made any big splashy moves, but I would almost argue you have to consider them a winner for this offseason, don't you? Um, I will find something negative to say about Tampa because I have to, because I'm a Jays fan. Um, is the fact that they'll probably trade Wander Franco by the time his contract's up. I, I probably would have gone more with their uh, rotation is incredibly young and risky, but sure, we could go if Wander's going to be traded. <laughs> well, there's also the fact they'll probably trade Glass now by the trade deadline, too. So, yeah, If if he's even healthy yet. I, I don't think they care if he's healthy or not. They'll just trade him because he makes money, and they don't like that. Yeah, and we've seen the Austin Meadows rumors as well, another guy that's getting through the arbitration years, getting a little pricey for them. I mean, that's always the the knock on the, the Rays. They really don't spend that much. This is kind of related to that, but just from a baseball fit perspective, imagine Freddie Freeman on this team. It's pretty much like a perfect fit. That's like the one spot in their lineup where they yeah. could use a Which apparently they upgrade. offered him a contract too. They apparently offered yeah. him a contract of like five years, something like that. The only reason that I ever think that he would, that they didn't like, totally totally sign him is because he'd have to switch from number five or wander franco would have to switch from number five and neither of them i think would want to <laughs> it'd just be like an but, mlb diamond dynasty lineup at this point you just have two number fives and just move on works for me or just like don't give a number to one of them go the old school um old school blank. i think wander old franco would have given it up to play with freddie what do you think no because he's wander franco and he knows you just paid I, me freaking millions of dollars i think he would have given it up he's 22 he'll get <laughs> it back 20, in like he's 21 he just turned 21, 21. he just turned 21 he's insane yeah. oh yeah. my goodness but i'm not even old and that makes me feel old right the, the thing with the thing that i'm even like okay we totally know that the rays are going to trade wander franco eventually is because that's exactly what they did with evan longoria 
Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, th- this is literally bad. the longest and uh, uh, longest contract and biggest money contract they've given out since Longo. And what was and his? His was like seven years or something. Seven years, I think. What it was around like a hundred and something. We also have to remember that was years ago. Like seven years of hundred and something. That's that's a big deal. Let me see if I could find it. I want to say it was like a hundred million for seven years or six yeah, years. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. But still, like it's very similar franchise type player, like a cornerstone type player. And then eventually they're like, "Oh wait, we actually don't want to pay you this much. We're gonna send you away. We'll send you to the moon because we don't want to pay you money anymore." So, did he have two different contracts with the Rays, or yeah, are... he signed a second one? Okay, so was and the then... first one basically just buying out his arb? I think so. I, th- I, I want to say it was so. like six years, a hundred million, and then he signed another big extension. And they got traded very soon after that one. Okay, yeah, because he started making eleven mil a year or more in 2015, but he was still on contracts for the three years prior to that. So, like, I, I honestly couldn't even tell you which one was the big contract there. I, th- I think, yeah, I think he's onto something. I think uh, I- I'm pretty sure there was two contracts in there. And they were both like, hey, I think there was even rumors during the first one where they're like, yeah, we actually don't want to keep you because you make money. I I didn't realize the Rays are still paying Longo. Yeah, those like, surprised me. They're paying five mil of his 2022 salary. And then well, yeah, 2023 one the high, one of the is paid. One of the highest paid Cincinnati Reds is Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah. And Bobby Bonilla still gets like two million a year every. Is it two or ten? It's two, right? Every July fifteenth or something. Is it two? Yeah. I thought it was ten. I don't know. I feel like it's not ten because it's stretched out over a long time. Is one point one nine until he's seventy two years old. Uh, five hundred million a year every July. F- oh, uh, no, sorry, one point one nine million a year every July first until he's seventy-two years old. Good lord, I'll take that deal, please. All right, so we're a uh, little over an hour. So, what do you say we get to kind of the 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 brunt of the uh? the preview here how is this division going to turn out this year who's going to win it who's going to lose it what are we thinking t-rad you want to go first we already know who's going to lose it i don't even have to say the name i don't even have to say the name the yankees we all agree it's only a four division league four four team division and then a throw-in team called baltimore so I have I have the Yankees in fourth. I don't think that they made any substantial moves that actually prove that they're going to be above a 91-win team this year. And you have to remember, that's what the Jays won last year, and they lost by a game. Like, they missed the playoffs by a game, and they were fourth in the division. Which breaks my heart still to this day. But third place, I have Boston. I think Boston made some decent moves anyway that 
can put them above New York. Second, I do have Tampa. I don't think Tampa is actually going to be substantially better than what they were last year. Yeah, they were a 100-win team, but... I mean, the thing with Tampa is you always doubt them, but they somehow are magically good. They're, they're the Milwaukee Brewers of the AL East is what they are. Pretty much. You always <laughs> think this is the year they're going to suck, and then they always prove you wrong. But... I do think it's going to come down to like game 162 between them and the Jays for first. Because I just, I don't see a team on paper that is more balanced than what the Jays are. I know, yeah, the left-handed batter thing, whatever. This team mashes lefties, they mash righties. It's literally, you throw, the only thing that they might lose to is an, an amphibious pitcher. Because I know it's ambidextrous, but I still remember that Pat Banditti, amphibious pitcher, makes his major league debut. But that may be the only way the Jays lose a game. I know they're going to lose games, but still, you know, you get what I'm saying. There's going to be a lot of amphibious pitchers this year. But I still, I don't see a team that on paper could beat Toronto, even though... There are still things that I would love to see fixed in that Toronto lineup, mainly getting their lefty, whether it is a Michael Conforto, who I actually think would be a really, really good fit. It was just, it would just be a matter of some little nitpicks, some fine-tuning, and I, like I said earlier, I think this is the Jays' division to win, but I don't say that lightly because the last team I remember that was really, really good was that 2015 team. And I honestly think this team's better than that 2015 team. 2015, that's the year that uh, Bautista uh, got decked by Rugi, right? Or Rugi got decked by Bautista? That oh, that was 16? Yeah. Darn. That was the year that the Jays made the wild card and beat the Orioles. But 2015 was the year that they brought in Tulo, and they brought in, that was the first year of Donaldson. And they brought in Price. But I look at this team now, and I'm like, this team could beat that 2015 team, and it wouldn't even be close. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Gally, how are you stacking up this division, you think? Yeah, this is is definitely going to be one of the most entertaining divisions, I think, to watch. Uh, All these teams battle it out. So I'll start with the Yankees. So we pointed out all the flaws in the Yankees, but with the Yankees, it was kind of like this last year. And then at the end of the day, they ended up winning, I think, 92 games. So they're, they still, like, they have so many really, really good players that they'll just kind of win a bunch of games, even if there's a lot of issues with the team. And all the Yankees fans will be, like, complaining and everything like they always are. Uh, but I'm not counting the Yankees out of the playoff hunt at all um and with the expanded playoffs i could see this division being one where three teams make the playoffs um pretty easily i have four of them making it pretty easily like i still think you the think Yankees all four are gonna make it well yes all four that are not the orioles but yeah i i admittedly still don't really understand the the postseason format for this year I can you have four divisions. teams from one division it's three. Um, it would have to be three. The three wild cards all from one division. It's it's three. It's three division winners and then three wild cards. 
Okay. And actually, yeah. So I guess technically if we had this format last year, you would have had all four teams in the, in the East be in it. Yeah. Okay. That's why I like, I can't see a division that has better teams than what the AL East does, except if you want to throw in the, the NL West. That is still from, only from the AL though. I, I could see like the twins or uh, I could see the twins making the, Playoffs the twins making the, it interesting. The twins are the the I I could see the Mariners having a legit shot at it this year. Yeah, and the Tigers, if their young guys come up and they uh, they start mashing early and Riley and and Torque, then you can make an argument that team would be pushing for it too, for that last wild card. Um, as for the East, though, I I don't know. I I kind of. I wouldn't root against Tampa, or I I wouldn't bet against Tampa. Um, I think Tampa's going to win the division. I don't know how. I think they have more holes in their lineup than the Jays, but it seems like every single year they manage to put together a really, really, really good rotation with guys who maybe you wouldn't expect to be as good as they are. And it's this guys year they've they never have... heard of before. It's guys you have literally never heard of before. And then it's like, oh, they're making their major league debut against the Blue Jays. Oh, they scored. They threw seven scoreless innings against Toronto. And it's like, of course they did. Yeah, and and this year they're they've got guys who showed really really good uh, abilities here in the majors. And Shane McClanahan, Drew Rasmussen, Luis Pat- or Luis Patino, uh, Shane Boz, who is uh, injured here at the early early going. And then they bring in Corey Kluber as their reclamation project of the year. And I, I think that rotation is going to hold together. I think their bullpen is really solid, and their lineup is always sneaky good. Like, yeah, I mean, they were Wander, sec- I think they Brandon were second in, uh, in runs last year, so like they're a great offense. Yeah, and, and we haven't so, even talked about the Red Sox offense, who I think is right on the same level with the Blue Jays and the Rays. Like, it, it's an incredible lineup. They're going to put up tons of runs. Yeah. And and I think where, and I know managers don't really make that big of an impact. And you're gonna you're gonna judge me for saying this here, Gowie. But I do think that the Rays kind of have a leg up in having a manager who's experienced, um, winning essentially, making it to the playoffs, putting together all these really, um, uh, he he knows how to build a lineup to get the most out of his team. Kevin Cash does. Uh, Kevin Cash? Yeah, yeah. there's one yeah. thing that will actually kind of fight you on is the fact that the Blue Jays manager, Charlie Montoya, was his bench coach during a lot of their really good seasons. And Alex Cora is a, a champ, right? Or he's yeah. a, the 2017. He's like he's the one of the best coach. managers, I think. He's the, yeah. He was the bench coach of the 2017 team and the manager of the 2018 Red Sox. So Now, I... I, I will say I do have the Jays in a close, close second. And I'm not sure both teams could win a hundred. They could be 99 and 98. I think it's going to be neck and neck, but I'm, I'm always going to bet the Rays get finished first. Um, and actually, I don't know. There's not enough wins to go around. If I say what I'm about to say, I, I think that the top three are all going to be really close. It's going to be Tampa. And then it's going to be Toronto or Boston. I don't really pick. like the Yankees this you year. Pick one. I'm gonna pick Toronto because I want it to be Toronto in second. 
I, I would like them to win it, but can't well, bet two teams to win. So I, I'm looking at the schedule right now, like as we're as we're talking here, just to see if it gets down to like the last day, who each team's facing. So the Jays have three free wins with Baltimore to end the year. Tampa, so I'm loading this in right now. Tampa plays Boston. Okay, so it actually might be, you might be right, it might be the Jays' division to lose if it's going to be that close and it comes down to the last couple games. Now, if it comes to the Jays have to win all three to potentially tie it, then that's I, a different story, but yeah. But but, but I, I do mean, agree. The Yankees and the O's, fourth and fifth. Like the Yankees are still going to be like a high eighties win team, probably. I would be surprised if they were below five hundred. But well, I'm, again, I'm looking at the the Yankees as well while I'm here, just to see in case they somehow manage to make things interesting. They have. Pitching-wise, they have four free wins. It's a matter of how the offense of their team that they're facing will perform because that team is the Texas Rangers. So, like I said, pitching-wise, that's pretty easy hits, pretty easy runs. It's a matter of stopping the easy runs from being scored against you. I don't know. Spencer Howard could be an ace. John Gray? But let's be real. I, I couldn't name any other starters on the on the Rangers. I'm, I'm pretty much have. maxed out at those two. Unless they go Jack Leiter. Like, unless Jack Leiter makes his debut in, like, May. That's a valid point. And maybe they draft uh, Kumar Rocker there in, in the draft when he's uh, drafted again this year and then bring him up at the end of the season. Honestly, but. it wouldn't even shock me at this point, the way that... Texas, like, the lack of pitching they have is, like, exhausting. They just played a spring training game that they won 25-12. to Yeah. And they traded their best pitching prospect in Hans Kraus last year. Cole Wynn is uh, is their big pitching prospect now, and I know Gowie's really high on him. But... All right. So, um, T-Rad, thank you very much for, uh, for joining us today. It was a great conversation. Um, we'd love to have you back sometime. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to plug, your YouTube, anything, uh, Twitter, anything like that? So, Twitter, you can find me at T-Rad32YT. In there, I think, is my, in the bio is my uh, YouTube channel because it has, like, no... Like, it's the generic thing. I'm not going to bother trying to tell you every single letter that's in there. Um, so, yeah, my main Twitter. I know for those watching the actual video, chances are it's been frozen most of the time. I apologize. Um, There's actually a point I'm like, hey, should I just put my logo in there the entire time so it doesn't look like complete garbage? But... <laughs> But, yeah, you can find anything you really need to write in that Twitter link. And, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. Um, Yeah, as soon as my internet's better and my video will actually work, um, (laughs) I'd love to come back on and 
actually, like I said earlier, love being able to actually talk about players on a field and not let's talk about CBA stuff. Yeah, this is definitely, uh, we enjoy this way more than the CBA oh, stuff. Oh, for sure. Like, I, I knew you were talking like, hey, we actually just decided we're going to play out of the park because we are literally that desperate. <laughs> yeah, it, it just, season. like, we could have talked about it more, but it was just so depressing. Neither one of us really enjoyed it. Was, it was always the same thing, too, where it was like, as soon as you got towards the deadline, oh, they're going to talk all night. Oh, well, deal is close. Oh, next day, deal's not close. It's not happening. Oh, no. And it just became a point where it was like, what else is there to talk about? And yeah. I I wouldn't, I didn't blame you guys at all when, I, he, when Mason told me, like, yeah, we're just not doing more. I'm like, I don't blame you because there's nothing else to talk about. That hasn't been said a million times. But now there is a lot to talk about, and we have a lot of talking to do. So the next couple weeks, we're actually going to be doing multiple streams a week. We have another one this week uh, on Friday. We're going to do the National League East preview. Next week, we'll be on Monday and Wednesday doing the AL and NL Wests. And then uh, the week after that, uh, we might do a couple of mini episodes that we'll upload straight to Spotify. And then on Wednesday the 6th, we'll do our full season preview before I go to St. Louis on the 7th for opening day. So... We got a lot of stuff coming up soon, so make sure that you're uh, following our our Facebook and uh, and Twitter um, to see so did, uh, that. Did we already have the rant on the Pittsburgh Pirates? Yes, that's another charity team. Yeah, we we might do a mini episode on the Pirates if we need to. Because that team, I'm I'm down to rail against them. Oh, I there's there's so many teams we want to rail against the <laughs> Orioles, the Pirates. <laughs> Um, I'll, heck, I, I love railing the Rockies, too. They're poverty franchise. Yeah. But yeah, so make sure to follow us on uh, Facebook and Twitter at Getaway Day Pod so you can get updates on when we are going to be recording next. And I'll make sure that we get that schedule for the next couple weeks up there. Uh, subscribe on your favorite podcasting app or YouTube uh, to make sure that you don't miss any new episodes after they uh, are posted. And let us know your thoughts through YouTube comments, Apple podcast reviews, or just reaching out to um, our our pages there. Uh, we also have a Discord um, channel that I will put in the chat here on Twitch, um, and we'll make sure that it's linked in the YouTube videos and anything like that. So you can always continue the conversations there throughout the week. So thank you all for listening, and have a great rest of your night.